The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this episode are that of the guest and host and do not necessarily reflect the values of sponsors or other associated organizations. Welcome to The Parental Compass, presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am your host, Bobby Williams. You can subscribe to the show on pretty much any platform. We come out with a new episode every week, so I encourage you to hit that subscribe button. It's so easy to just get caught up in the day-to-day. Work, children, driving to soccer, doing the dishes, so many things. We often forget about ourselves. The irony of it all is that we need to take good care of ourselves in order to do a good job at all those other things. Our guest today is Dr. Nicole Christian Brathwaite. Dr. Nicole is a psychiatrist, a senior vice president slash medical director of Array Behavioral Care, the largest telepsychiatry organization in the world. Big stuff. You can also learn more about Dr. Nicole by going to wellmindsconsulting.com. All right, let's learn how to take care of ourselves. You know, setting boundaries is is essential to self-care. I I often tell my my parents, limits are loving. So Mm -hmm. if we don't set limits on our kids, for example, you know, don't run into oncoming traffic or wear your seatbelt, then that ends up putting them at risk or in danger. And if we apply those same principles to ourselves, if we don't set limits on what we do for other people or what we allow other people to do to us or who we allow in our lives, then again, it ends up ultimately being harmful. And so setting limits on other people in your lives, in your life, being able to say no is actually a form of love because it's protecting you. It's certainly, it, you know, protecting them because again, if you are resentful or frustrated because mm-hmm. you didn't say no, ultimately you're, you're not in the, the best place to, to really provide that help or support. And so by, by setting those limits, again, you're able to very clearly dictate your needs and wants. And, and I know often we have a hard time telling people what we need, but being able to, to be explicitly clear, that, that builds relationships and improves communication. Yeah, that makes me think about kids who've been through trauma and how boundaries are or can be sort of a comforting thing of boundaries are like you're safe here and you know what your limits are and it's an act of caring. Absolutely. And if we, if we think about, for example, even children, when do kids feel safe? They feel safe when things are reliable, when things are structured, predictable, um, and you know, when, when there aren't tremendous surprises. Certainly, if we think about COVID last year or even this year, school's not often predictable or reliable or structured. Mm-hmm. And that's when, when kids really struggle. And again, it's, it's the same thing for adults. When we, when we know what's coming, you, you feel less anxiety. Anxiety and even going beyond that trauma, a lot of the root of that is, is the unknown, is not having control, is feeling powerless. But implementing structure, it, it helps you to feel more powerful because again, you, you are exerting some level of control over your environment and, and limiting 
what you allow in and out of your life. Yeah. Well, and so many people struggle with anxiety of just, yeah, that feeling of I can have control of my own life. Yes. When we're talking about anxiety too, there's so many jokes about like, mom needs a glass of wine or um, things like that. Do you think that is a a good form of self-care or is it, where's the line with that? And that's a, that's a great question there. There was actually a study uh, maybe nine months into the pandemic that showed there's been over a 200% increase in alcohol consumption, I believe particularly that. on online alcohol purchases and, and delivery. And again, we, we were all forced to be with our families. It was like an extended Thanksgiving. Um, and you were kind of forced to, to be in an environment with your family and not really having a lot of outlets. And so certainly people turn to coping skills. And in moderation, sure, a glass of wine a night can help to, to relax you, and it's, it's a nice way to wind down the evening. However, when it gets to the point where you're, you're drinking in excess, and, and that you know, can certainly vary for each person, but if you find that you're drink, drinking upwards of three or more glasses of wine or three or more drinks an evening, or that's the specific thing that you're looking forward to, or that's how you, you, you plan your day around your alcohol consumption or your, your choices are dictated by that consumption, that's certainly when, when it becomes an issue. And, and often if we haven't really intentionally developed healthy coping skills, it's, it's very easy to default to those unhealthy ones because they tend to be quick fixes, but they, they also tend to be the ones that are, that are not effective or healthy long-term. I think the challenge with a lot of that stuff is there's a lot of gray area. Like, do I just like to drink or am I kind of bordering on a problem? Right. And depression is sort of like that too, of how can I tell if I'm just having a bad day or a few bad weeks or I'm clinically depressed? Right. It's just hard to know. How, how can you tell? So that, that, that's a great question. I, I would say, number one, I am a huge proponent of, of therapy. I think everyone can benefit from ther- therapy. I certainly benefit from therapy. I, I think we often tend to think of, of going for mental health support when there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And usually by, by that point, we've kind of, we're playing catch up versus if we enter into a therapeutic relationship to have that time to ourselves, to be able to process some of the challenges in our lives, everyone is dealing with something. Everyone has some level of pain. Everyone needs that opportunity to have that time that is completely dedicated to them. And so number one, I would say just proactively engaging in therapy because the therapist can help you identify some of those specific pain points and the warning signs. The other thing that um, certainly parents can do if you go online, there, there are a number of free questionnaires or, or um, surveys that you can take that help to let you know if you have an increased risk of depression or anxiety. And one of those surveys that's free, it's called the PHQ-9. And it's a nine question survey. It literally takes five minutes and many, of, many websites will actually have you answer the questions. You put in a score and based on your score, it tells you your risks or likelihood of actually having mild, moderate, or severe depression. And you can utilize that scale and taking, take it to your primary care doctor um, or to your therapist to say, you know, I, I took this questionnaire. It, it says I'm at risk for moderate depression. What are your recommendations? And, and that is a form that we actually use um, as a screening questionnaire in primary care offices and psychiatric practices. That's awesome because a lot of times it's like, give me some real advice. So there's some real advice right there. PHQ9, 
just put it in Google and you can figure out how depressed you are. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think the challenge when you're feeling down or you want to start making some progress, but it can just feel so hard to get started to do things for yourself. Or I think of going to the gym and it's like just showing up to the gym in the first place is the hardest thing. How can you even start to improve your life when you feel like you're stuck in a rut? And that, that's a great question. I, I think one of the mistakes that we tend to make is, is that we set unattainable goals or mm -hmm. unrealistic goals. I, I know many of us have said, you know, the holidays are coming. I want to lose 20 pounds before Thanksgiving or, you know, before I go on vacation, I need to fit into this dress or this bathing suit. So I want to lose 30 pounds. And then, and then we're so frustrated because it was an unattainable timeline and an unrealistic goal. So the, the first thing I would say is we have to set small goals even small minor wins, those are still wins. And feeling successful then gives you the confidence to do additional things. So success begets more success. And, and I always recommend that people set SMART goals. And again, if you Google S-M-A-R-T SMART goals, there's so many resources out there. So essentially SMART goals are goals that are specific, measurable, attainable, realistic and timely. And so for it to be a smart goal, it has to have all five of those components. So saying I'm just, I'm going to lose 30 pounds in a week. Is that realistic? It has the timely part of it. Is it attainable? You know, not really. It's specific, but again, but you know, maybe instead you can say, I am going to reduce my soda intake by two sodas a week. And I'm going to do that for the next month and see how things go. Even those small, those small movements forward, we're still getting closer to the goal. And I think we just need to give ourselves a, a break. We, we don't need to conquer the world in a day. We can take time to do that. What is in motion stays in motion. So if you can just get started doing some things. Exactly. And, and in um, mental health, we, we have a, a term called behavioral activation. So uh -huh. essentially... Behavioral activation means doing things that are good for you, even if you don't feel like doing them. And so this happens frequently in individuals who are depressed. They just can't get out of bed. And then they, instuck, they end up stuck in this cycle where they don't get out of bed until later in the day. They didn't accomplish anything. They feel terrible about themselves. And so then they feel more depressed and are more hard on themselves and they're back in the bed and they just get stuck. Versus let's say instead of getting up at 12 o'clock, I am going to set a goal to get up at 10 o'clock today. Mm -hmm. And even if I don't feel like it, even if I don't want to setting that very small and specific goal, it, it moves you closer to getting out of bed at an at a, a ideal time versus if you normally struggle to get out of bed if, at 12 and you set a goal for 8 a.m., it's probably not going to happen. And so essentially behavioral activation means faking it until you make it, but doing it in a realistic way. Yeah. I feel like that with work sometimes of like, oh, I just don't feel like doing it. But it's like, I don't have to do it happily. I just have to right. do something. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of parents can feel like they've lost their sense of identity mm -hmm. when they're caught up in raising their children and work. And you think like, oh, when I was younger, I was all these things. And now I'm just an accountant and a father. And, you know, there's that sense of loss there, like you're not even yourself anymore. Right, right. And absolutely. And I think that that's, again, another form of self-care is um, self-reflection and 
identifying your likes, your dislikes, who you are, and, and certainly those change over time. Um, and so a part of that self-reflection and, and insight is also knowing how you feel, you know, recognizing when you're feeling overwhelmed or stressed, recognizing when you need to potentially engage in those hobbies. Again, my, my husband recently just started uh, going out with friends again and you know, pre pre COVID they would play basketball every week and occasionally go golfing. And obviously none of those things were happening. And I, I we had this conversation. He's like, you know, I, I feel like I'm losing myself that that was a part of who I was. I got to go out with my friends, have a conversation, kind of get a few hours away. And he didn't have that. And so, you know, we talked about how can we in the midst of COVID, of course, allow you to, to have those engagements and have those interactions and find yourself again, but do so in a, in a healthy way, recognizing that that's a priority. And again, having that, that insight and self-reflection, you know, he noticed that he was more irritable mm -hmm. at the end of the week. He, he found that he was struggling to focus and concentrate at work, that he was having, you know, more of a headache uh, at the, at the end of the, the work week, he was eating more. And so, you know, we specifically talked about what, what are the signs how do we know when one of us is stressed out or overwhelmed? And recognizing that he was having that increase in those stress symptoms, we realized, you know what, we really need to take a step back and think about what we can do to help you preserve your identity and your, your wellness. Yeah, well, that's interesting thinking about what are the signs that things are um, going downhill. You realize when you're just feeling totally miserable, but you don't always notice when it's like, I'm halfway towards being miserable. I'm three quarters of the way. How, how can you learn the signs in yourself? Are there any tips there? Sure. And I mean, I think that's a great point. We often, when we kind of hit rock bottom, so to speak, we'll, we'll say, well, this just came out of nowhere. It really doesn't. It never comes out of nowhere. And so this is this is actually an exercise that I, I recommend that everyone does. So there's usually four categories um, of symptoms of stress, physical symptoms of stress, emotional symptoms of stress, behavioral symptoms of stress and cognitive symptoms of stress. And what I recommend is that parents and, and actually in conjunction with your kids sit down and look at all four areas and identify what changes in you when you were stressed. And I recommend doing this with someone else because often some of those things someone else will notice before will notice. So for example, physical symptoms of stress could be um, feeling nauseous when you wake up in the morning before you have to go to work or finding that you're clenching your fists throughout the day or your, your shoulders or your back are very tense and you're having pain in your neck or tension headaches, um, you're having stomach upset or back pain or just, just kind of overall chronic pain everywhere. Are, is your heart racing? Are you having chest pain or even re reduced libido or, or decreased sex drive? Then the emotional symptoms, um, do you have less patience? Is your frustration tolerance much less? Do you find that you're more restless? irritable? Do you feel like you get overwhelmed by smaller things that normally you could kind of just brush off? And um, are you less, are you more pessimistic rather than optimistic? And do you feel more isolated? And then the behavioral symptoms, so changes in eating habits, are you like actually isolating yourself? Are you smoking or drinking more? Do you, um, are you kind of avoiding or procrastinating things that need to be done or everyday tasks? Are you having trouble getting along with people? And you know, are you 
biting your nails or the physical symptoms of restlessness, biting your nails, pacing. Um, and then lastly, the cognitive symptoms. Are you not able to concentrate? Do you have trouble remembering things and, and finding that you're being much more forgetful than normal? Are you just having these really intrusive, negative, unwanted thoughts that you cannot seem to, to get rid of? And, you know, or are you just chronically worrying? And you're just, these things get stuck in your head and you can't seem to get them out. And so, you know, those are just a few examples in each category. And I would say, sit down and, and actually write it out and have a conversation with your partner or with a family member to say, this is what I can think of. What have you noticed when I am overwhelmed or stressed or you see me reaching that breaking point, but before I get there, before we're at the point of no return, what are some of the things you notice? And, and I, again, I would say, I would recommend doing this with your children because often kids don't have a, a large emotional vocabulary. And so when they can't express themselves, they act out. I want to circle back to this idea of taking time for yourself and having your own identity. And sometimes when you're taking time for yourself or you're out doing things, it's a burden on your partner because then they're left to watch the kids during that time or make dinner or whatever it is. Is there a way to balance that or what can you do? So number one is communication. And 99% of the time, a lot of conflict is secondary to poor communication. And so, you know, one thing that I would say is, again, sitting down and having a focused conversation with your partner or with your, your spouse or whoever you're co-parenting with um, to, be, to be very clear that, you know, I, and again, this is, I gave the example, this is the conversation that my husband and I had together. He expressed to me that he's struggling. And I, you know, he was able to be very clear about how he was struggling. And then he was able to express some of the things that he needed. Um, and we talked about, well, you know, if you go out for two or three hours on Thursdays, then, then that means I have to manage the kids by myself. And we're also caretakers for our parents. So I, I also have to, to manage our parents by themselves. And one thing that I always recommend when you're engaged in, in conversation, particularly conversation or communication that could be tense, is using um, a technique called reflective listening. So that essentially means when someone is telling you something before you respond, before you answer, before you provide a solution, you reflect what they've said to you. To one, just make sure that you fully understood what they're trying to say and that you heard it in the way that they meant it to be received. And so the, before I answer, before I respond to my husband, I say, okay, so what you're telling me is that you haven't seen a lot of your friends in months you're, you're realizing now that that was a really important outlet to you. And you're trying to find a way to both have that outlet, but not have it be a burden on me. Is, is that essentially what you're trying to tell me? And he may say, well, no, I didn't mean that. Or yes, that's exactly what I was saying. And then, so before I answer one, I ensure that we're on the same page. And then that's when we actually have the, the bargaining. So if you're going to take this time on Thursday, could, could I have time on Wednesday so that it feels more balanced? Well, this has been a great conversation. I just appreciate all the incredible work you're doing. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much. And if, if anyone's interested in more resources, again, on my website, wellmindsconsulting.com, if you go under resources, there's a document entitled COVID-19, and it has a list of um, ways that we can cope and self-care recommendations that I created at the beginning of the pandemic. And it's free and, and everyone is certainly open to, to welcome to look at that. In addition, it also has dozens of links for mental health resources. Thank you, Dr. Nicole Christian Brathwaite. Remember, be kind to yourself. 
This has been the Parental Compass presented by Family Education and Support Services. I am Bobby Williams. We'll see you next week. Peace.